ask you to take your Bibles now, if you've gotten them, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. And the words to which I would call your attention this morning come to us from verses 16 and 17, but we will start reading in verse 14 to pick up a little bit of the context. Remember that as we read God's Word this morning, we do so as an act of uh, public worship. This is God's Word. It is holy. It is inerrant. It is infallible. Matthew 8, verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we bless you. We thank you that you have caused your word to be written down so that it might give comfort to your church throughout all time. We praise you for it. Bless us. In Jesus' name we pray now. Amen. Uh, It's hard to miss, if you've been alive for the last few years, it's hard to miss that there's been a resurgence of comic book heroes. Um, Particularly some of the Marvel comic book style. So you know, perhaps you've watched some of uh, Spider-Man and Iron Man and all of these, and so there's being, they become very, very popular in our day. Um, many films, some, some really anticipate, uh, some may even get vanity license plates on their cars for these sorts of uh, silly things. Um, uh, but Marvel heroes, Marvel heroes, uh, the comic book heroes, they are, um, they are self-obsessed and flawed Individuals. In fact, if you pay any attention to the the, uh, the the nature of all of these superheroes, you'll and you know anything of history, all that Marvel heroes are, all these comic book heroes are simply regurgitations of the Greek and Roman pantheon of gods. That's what they are. In fact, some of them are actually the incarnation, like Thor and Odin and all of these. They're uh, simply gods. Uh, uh, of times gone by, they channel uh, these super powers from the pantheon of gods who, who, who had supernatural power and yet they were flawed and fallen just like humans are. That's what Marvel superheroes are. So, in Christ, we don't find a superhero. In Christ... We find one who has divine power and divine character. The Lord Jesus Christ, as the Son of Man, listen, this is the great distinction. As the Son of Man, He represents humanity as we should be. 
He represents Adam as Adam should have been. The Adam that we all wished had been. The Adam who never ate from the tree. The Adam whose heart was so set on his creator that he couldn't even be tempted by sin. He, sh- he shows us who Adam should have been. The one who never wavered from the law of God. And all of the power, he also shows us the tenderness and the kindness of our loving God who is willing Himself to bear the sins of His people. And we see this in this passage this morning. Two things. Jesus is the victor over evil. And He is the suffering servant. Jesus is the victor over evil and he is the suffering servant. As we come to Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, notice something. It, it's evening. You, you saw that in the text as uh, Matthew begins, as he will a few times in his gospel. That evening. Well, what evening is it? This is the same evening that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. So as you get the whole picture of, of this day, Jesus had some long days of ministry of If you think that you've poured yourself out on some days, it doesn't compare. He he went up on this mountain. So he had traveled roughly two miles south of Capernaum. They walked there, uh, obviously. And Jesus had ascended this mountain and the people gathered around him and he preached this sermon to them. They all came down from the mountain. And remember, he is being followed now by a horde of people. Why is that? Well, because Christ, as the incarnate Godhead, is a picture of the tabernacle in the wilderness, or actually the tabernacle in the wilderness behind which the Israelite people walked was a picture of the incarnate Christ. The skins of animals, remember, in which the glory of God dwelt. Well, now all of the people of Israel are following him. There are great crowds with him. And they've traveled two miles back north to Capernaum. Same day. Jesus has healed the Capernaum's uh, young slave boy on the way into Capernaum. And then they went into Peter's, mother, Peter's home. And there was his mother-in-law. And he healed her, uh, exhibiting his authority and power again. And now it's roughly... Three o'clock in the afternoon. It's in the evening. And in in Judaism, they had two evenings. Uh, The first evening was three o'clock, and then later about nine o'clock and afterwards. So it's it's somewhere between three and nine in the evening. When the mass of people begin to bring to Jesus their needs uh, again, and, and as we observe all of these events, the question before us is, this is history. Um, This truly happened. Matthew's reporting it, Mark records it, Luke records it. But is there more significance for us? Is there something that you and I are to take away from this? Something that in 2022 applies to us in the text? And, And yes, the first thing that ought to apply to us 
is that Jesus is the victor over evil. We see this in verse 16. That Jesus is the victor over evil. But notice what happens here. Um, Jesus is, is in Peter's home. Perhaps they're sitting down again and, and people begin to sort of cram into the doorway of Peter's house and, and they have brought to him uh, people who are sick. Notice, first of all, that they are, I appreciate the way that the uh, ESV translates this term. Uh, they bring to him many who were oppressed by demons. And, and the idea is literally they are having to bear them to Jesus. So they're so oppressed, or the nature of their oppression is perhaps they're lame, uh, uh, they're fallen, and so they have to have friends who help them get to the doorway of Peter's home. Many are brought to him. And Matthew indicates that they were picked up, they're brought, they're laying there uh, in the doorway, and it's a, it's a crammed house. Then the nature of their affliction rendered them helpless. Some of you, uh, your Bibles will have that they were demon-possessed. Uh, Personally, I don't, I don't care for that term. We're going to see this again uh, in just a few uh, Sundays when Jesus went and, and the man who was among the tombs and ha- was afflicted by demons came running out to him, uh, crying out. And we're, we're going to talk about the nature of this, but, but what we see, at, at least in this scene, is, is the nature of this demonic oppression rendered them physically ill. And notice what Matthew says here. And he cast out the spirits with a word. He cast out the spirits with a word. Now, not only that, there there weren't only those who were afflicted by demons, but there were others who were sick in various ways. They were afflicted by various diseases. Now, one thing that I want to bring out here is that Matthew, and you'll see this in other Gospels, is that Matthew doesn't actually use the term sickness or illness or disease. The term that Matthew uses here that we translate sickness is evil. And so we could translate it this way, and he cast out the spirits by with a word, and he healed all who had evil. So you see, now, there's a very important theological truth that comes out of this whole scene. When he's healing people who have evil, Matthew uses the term evil, and so do the gospel writers, and this was common. He uses the term evil to refer to sickness. And and you, because you have a biblical understanding of sickness, know why, don't you? You and I are reminded that every sickness can be traced to sin and evil. When Adam fell, the principle of death was introduced to his body. So before Adam took of that fruit and ingested it, he would not have died. God gave him an eternal soul and eternal body. His his body became mortal after he sinned against God. And so every sickness, every disease 
from chicken pox to the common cold to your aching knees and back can all be traced to Adam's fall. That's why they are here. And so it's good. It, it helps us to remember every time you get up in the morning and your knee hurts. There's some of you maybe right now, you have a headache. The reason you have that headache, the reason that you have that ailment is you are reminded that there is sin in the world. There is a principle that is against you. And so when Jesus healed these people, he is not just working against some bodily ailment. He is working against evil. So now you see the whole picture, don't you? This is a conflict between two kingdoms. On the one hand, the kingdom of darkness and Satan, represented by the demons and every ailment. You think back to Job. How did the devil afflict him? Death and illness. The kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of Christ and which one is victorious. What we see here is that the same power that was present in the second person of the Trinity when He, by a word, gave existence to all that is, was present now in Peter's house. The same word that set the sun and the moon in their places is now casting out demons. The same power is present in the incarnate Christ. By the word of His power, He has demonstrated His authority over all creation and expelled demons and cured disease. And yet remember that this demonstration of His authority is not one thimbleful of what Christ possesses. This was a mass exorcism. No crucifixes, no holy water, no chanting, no prayer. A word from Christ, be gone, and demons fled. Every single one of them was gone. Christ is the victor over evil. So what does this mean for you? Well, our Christ, who is seated on His throne at this moment, presiding now over our service of worship, makes this power available to all of His children. To all who come to Him in faith, the divine power of Christ is there. You need not fear. There is nothing on this earth so powerful as your Christ. And whatever you ask of Him, He can do. And we remember that the only limitation He has is His will. Whatever He wills, He can do. All He must do is speak a word. Christ, in His conquest over evil, it's not a struggle for Him of flesh and blood. He doesn't need swords or cannons or 50 caliber weapons 
He doesn't need nuclear bombs. All that Christ requires is the act, the enforcement of His will. Scripture teaches us that death is evil. But it also teaches us that Jesus has power over death. And that he delights to rescue his people from it. Christ is the victor over evil. And the second thing we see is that Jesus is the substitute sufferer. Not only is he the victor over evil, evil but he's the suff- substitute sufferer. Now this is an interesting uh, uh, truth to put together, isn't it? On the one hand, conquering evil by a word. And yet on the other hand, a substitute sufferer. In Some of you perhaps have performed in stage plays. And you know that uh, one of the things that you're not supposed to do in a stage play is break the fourth wall. What's the fourth wall? Well, normally if, you, if you're on a TV set, you have three walls around you and there's an imaginary barrier between you and the audience. And, and it's a faux pas. It is an unwritten rule, so to speak, to address the audience as an actor. You're not supposed to do that because it brings the audience into the play. It, it, it destroys the imagination, the whole world that you have built up. Jesus, I'm sorry, Matthew here is breaking down the fourth wall. Notice what he says in verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. What Matthew is doing is now he's, he's sort of looking up from his biographical work, looking up from recording what happened, and he's looking at you now. Looking at you as the reader, as he does periodically in his work, and he's saying to you, now take heed to this. What you're observing here is that here's the fulfillment of what Isaiah spoke through the prophet. I'm sorry, what God spoke through the prophet Isaiah saying to you. He is born our, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Matthew looks from Jesus as the victor over evil to Jesus as the suffering servant. This statement that God made through the prophet Isaiah comes from Isaiah chapter 53 verse 4. There's an important context to that because after we move beyond Isaiah chapter 40, we're We're done, so to speak, with the curses against Judah, the southern kingdom. And Isaiah moves now under the uh, uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give a future hope. So Isaiah 40 to 66 is all proclaiming the coming of God's glorious kingdom. Remember, uh, we look at Isaiah 40 and there we find those words, comfort, comfort my people. There's a whole transition. God's anger is assuaged. And he says now to his servant, comfort my people. And he's going to send someone who's going to come in the wilderness to proclaim the good news. And who is that that will come? God himself. Who do we see come? Christ as the God-man. And here, Matthew says to us, we've moved forward. 
to Isaiah 53. And in Isaiah's gospel, so to speak, there are these periodic references to what he calls the servant, the suffering servant. And in Isaiah 53, we find one of the most profound references to Christ as the suffering servant. Let's turn over there just for a moment and read some of these words. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. This section begins in chapter 52, verse 13. We won't read all of it. We'll begin in chapter 53, verse 1. Listen to these glorious words. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Now, in a Jewish context, who, who are the Jews looking, looking at? Who are they thinking about when they read these verses? They're thinking about Israel in Abram, the one who had no form, no majesty, whom the Lord raised up. But we know that this is a reference to the true Israel of God the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who grew up in His manhood like a young plant. Verse 3, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as no one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us when, when, when Matthew refers to Isaiah 53, verse 4, he's referring to this whole scene, the whole idea behind this, that we are looking to one, we are seeing one who comes as a substitute for his people, who, who takes, who sees himself as a sufferer, who takes the suffering of his people upon himself so that they themselves will not have to suffer. Now, I want you to note well something as you turn back to Matthew 8. Note this well. Scripture never describes Jesus' physical appearance. There's a reason for that. God knows that our idolatrous hearts would seek to replicate His appearance and then worship that image. It's the same reason that uh, the angel uh, Michael was sent to take away the bones of Moses and, and bury them in an unknown place. Why? Because the people would worship them. They would become trinkets to them and they would worship them instead of God Most High. Scripture always describes Jesus, listen, in terms of His Word and His works. 
His word, his preaching, and his works. So, in just a few chapters in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is going to receive some visitors. Some men are going to come to him. And they're going to say to him, Lord, John, whom we serve, sent us to you to ask you one question. Are you the one? Are you the one we've been waiting for? You remember how Jesus answered? He did not pull out his Galilean driver's license and say, look, it says so right here. He sent the men back. He said, tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. What he is saying is, believe my works. Am I the one? Jesus is conquering evil, casting out these demons, banishing sickness from these people for a period, raising the dead for a period, Why? So that you and I would have evidence that He is the one. And that's what what Matthew is saying to you. He's saying, here it is. Here's the one. Here's the one you've been waiting for. It's Christ. He is the victor over evil, and He Himself is the suffering servant. You're looking back to Israel. You're saying all these things we once were. And God is saying to you, no, here is the power that has come down from on high to deliver you. Here's the true Israel of God. This scene draws together two realities. Christ, at the same time, is, is, listen to me, not will be. He is the victorious King. He inaugurated His ministry in Mark 1.15 by saying what? The Kingdom of God is at hand. He is a victorious king and the suffering servant at the same time in this period in his ministry. And his will is to bring victory to you. And he only does that. How? By taking your afflictions on himself and suffering in your place. When he offers you, and in Matthew, in Matthew 11, 29, when he offers you his burden, it's because he is willing to take yours. Note that none of this is forced upon him. He does it of his own free will. Isaiah's picture of the servant is one who suffers for others. He does it alone and he does it willingly. In all of Jesus' ministry, Matthew is teaching you that you must see him as the Redeemer who conquers death in behalf of his people by taking their guilt upon himself, taking our shame upon himself And Matthew is saying, this is the Christ to whom 
You must come. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we come to You this morning not not to a superhero, not to one who's part of the Greek pantheon, but we come to one who has in every way suffered, who has, according to the Scriptures, been tempted by sin and yet never sinned, could not sin. We come to you this morning gathering as your little flock here in Summit, Mississippi, like those people in Capernaum coming to the doorway, coming to the doorway to bring our burdens. And yet, we remember that now, in the power of your resurrection, we don't stand at the doorway. You have given us admittance, entrance into the very Holy of Holies, to, to bring our burdens, every one of them, to bring our sorrows, every one of them, and lay them at your feet, to come into the very inner sanctum and, and to lay our burdens at your feet, to know your power. You, you have divine power. You are a dispenser of divine power. You are the one who called all things into being at the will of the Father by the word of the Son and the work of the Spirit. And so we pray for your comfort to be with us, your strengthening to be with us so that we might go out of here, not as those who one day will be victorious, but to those who are given victory. As John said, I write to you because you have overcome the evil one. You have overcome the world. Strengthen us to live to obey the law of God, and to be lovers of your creation. We pray for your sake, O Lord. Amen.